0: The vision was always, let me do the role, and then let me essentially find somebody to take that role over, run with it, make it their own, and start really specializing these individual roles. Because I believe focus is one of the most important things to get repeatability and consistency.
1: I've wanted to have today's guest on our show for a while now because he's exactly the type of growth story we want to tell from a few different perspectives. He had a surprisingly fast personal career arc from entry-level support to senior success leader in only a few years. He also helped to grow two startup customer success teams from the ground up. Today, we're talking to Joseph Schmidt, VP of Customer Success at Upkeep. Welcome to Grow & Tell, the show where revenue leaders tell the growth stories behind successful companies. I'm your host, Alex Krakow. Nine years ago, Joseph Schmidt was a Starbucks store manager in LA. After a two year stint at an online retail company doing account management, he was hired to PatientPop, a healthcare marketing platform. There, he was handed a team of 20 account managers on the first day of the job, and the role only grew from there. Today he is the VP of customer success at Upkeep and Enterprise Asset Management Software. On today's show, Joseph and I chat about how he went from first CS hire to VP, how he went about building out Upkeep's customer success team. Why they have such great employee retention and other advice for customer success leaders. I really enjoyed this conversation, so I hope you do too. I'd love to start with your first job in SaaS. You went yeah. from working at a Starbucks to a CSM at Patient Pop, and I think while you were there, you went from like an individual contributor to running three teams with twenty direct reports. I think all within a year. Like the timeline is is very impressive. Can you talk about this experience?
0: Yeah, definitely. I think I had such an untraditional path to get into software, but you know, from Starbucks I had an opportunity to go work at an e-commerce company and that was really focused there my role was technical support and this idea of account management. Um, I had the opportunity then to go to patient pop and it was a really interesting experience because they just raised uh, a round of funding and they were literally hiring groups of people in batches of like 20 and 30. And so I was going through the interview process and they said, Hey, we're building out an account management team. Uh, and it looks like you were actually managing account managers at your last company. Would you like to manage this group? And I said, of course, I would love to do that. And so I'll always remember this came into the company, There's 20 account managers. There's me, and I started the same day that this group that I was managing uh, was coming into the business. And so they said, Hey, you know, we've been selling these customers. We have about 2000 customers. We need you guys to start calling them because no one's ever talked to them before. And so we sat in this room with me and 20, 20 account managers at that time. And we just started calling people and just saying like, hey, these, we're your new resource. We're your new resource. And so at that point in time in my career, you know, I just assumed account management was just maintaining relationships and, and being there. So about three months into being at Patient Pop, this amazing woman, Carla Nichols, came in and she got hired in as our vice president of customer success. And I'll always remember this. She, my first interaction with her, we sat down, we were in a conference room and she goes to me, she said, Did you ever hear of customer success before? And in my head, I'm like, all right, cool. This sounds like glorified support, but like, I'm, I'm down. Let's hear what this customer success is all about. And she explained it to me and she's like, Hey, listen, you know, people are paying for a service. You're providing value for it. And we need to continue to maintain that relationship. And it's not just this concept of reactive activities. She said, it's very proactive. And at that point, she introduced me to this concept of customer success. Uh, and during that time, then I, I started digging into it and Gainsight was getting very popular and went down this whole rabbit hole of just becoming obsessed with this concept of customer success. And to me, it was very simple, right? It's you provide value, people pay for it, right? And at that point, that really set me on a whole different career path um, once I learned what customer success was.
1: And then so what was like the second half, like after you talked to Carla and you sort of had that moment at patient pop, like how did that change like your exact strategy as you're working with all these patient pop customers? Because it seemed like you went from just being like, Hey, I'm Joe, I'm here to help you to actually maybe being a little bit more proactive in your support. Like what did what did that kind of look like?
0: Yeah. So in regards to what the team was doing, it didn't necessarily change what the activities were because there were a lot of good lear- good learnings from that first round of customer success that team was very reactive where we didn't have a customer support team. So in the early days of it, essentially customer success more looked like customer support at Patient Pop. But when I came over to Upkeep, that was the, the number one thing that I put in place first was we need a customer support team. So the customer success managers do not customer support agents.
1: Let's talk about Upkeep because I know that's where you're still at and yep. um and you joined Upkeep as the first customer success person. Can you talk about like what Upkeep was like when you joined and and what made you take a chance on such an early stage company?
0: Yeah, so uh you've met Ryan, our founder uh and CEO and his energy just contagious and it all happened on a LinkedIn message one day he said, "Hey, we just got out of an incubator. This is the space that we're in." he's like, we're going to build a really big business. And he's like, you have the opportunity to come here and essentially build our first customer facing teams. And so I was like, great. I learned a lot at Patient Pop during that short period of time. And I understood the space that we were going into where we were providing software to manufacturing or to organizations that were not used to using technology. And so... Coming into Upkeep, I think I was employee like number five. Um, and at that time, the rest of the employees were all product and engineering. So it was myself, Ryan, and this awesome guy named Kevin. Uh, and we just had intercom at that time. And so we were really just doing technical support. And so when I came into the business, it was really taking over that aspect of like, okay, how do we inbound this reactive uh, work that's coming in? And then the vision behind that was, all right, once technical support was uh, directionally under control, I hired my first technical support agent, and this guy, Jason, and he's actually still with me to this day. Him and I have been, he's been at Upkeep for five and a half years. And so he took over technical support from there. I then went in and I said, okay, well, we need a customer success team. So I started doing customer success activities. And at that time, customer success, the way that it looked was, it was implementation and customer success, where we were onboarding new customers, and then we were maintaining those relationships. Once that had a directional foundation, I then hired my first customer success manager, and her name's Meiji, uh, and she's actually still with me to this day as well. She's been in the business for five years, and she's now our director of customer success. Um, so she's had an amazing career path here, and now she oversees uh, twelve customer success managers. And so the vision was always, let me do the role. And then let me essentially find somebody, to take that role over, run with it, make it their own, and start really specializing these individual roles. Because I believe focus is one of the most important things to get repeatability and consistency.
1: What's your trick to getting people to to stay with you for so long? Like that's amazing that some of these early hires are are still with you. Uh, yeah, like I don't know how, how have you been able to do that.
0: Yeah. One of my, I think, like leadership mantras has always been autonomy and structure, essentially giving everyone a clear understanding from a structure standpoint, like what's the mission? What are we focused on? What are you being measured by? Uh, And how is that impacting the business and what value are you providing to it? Right. And the other part of structure is providing them resources to do their roles. The autonomy piece is figuring out everything in between. And this is my own personal experience and this is how Ryan essentially has has led with me, is that we understand what we need to do. So you get the opportunity to figure it out. And I believe that creates a sense of ownership. If you fully feel what you're doing is contributing, then people feel ownership, which then I think leads to being fulfilled, which leads to people staying.
1: And then what's the structure of the team like today? Like, you know, how has it grown since those early days and, and is it still kind of those departments or has has it evolved since then?
0: Yeah, so it definitely has uh, evolved and, and we've gone through different iterations of this. And, and mind you, this has been on us. We're on a six year journey now at this point. And so it's taken different shapes based on where the business was at. But pretty much the way that the customer success organization is structured is that we have our professional services team. So eventually at one point we broke off implementation from customer success uh, and essentially started specializing that that team now is focused on new customer onboarding and new customer training. Uh, they also are a revenue generating team non-recurring revenue, where we essentially charge for professional services, which helps support the business. Um, The second team is the customer success team. And the customer success team today is measured by net revenue retention. So very much focused on gross retention as their first primary focus. But to drive the behaviors of being curious about expansion, we essentially measure them by net revenue retention. Now, they don't actually close down the expansion sale, but they work with their sales counterpart to help move that expansion forward. That customer success department or that team is is actually broken down into three different tiers. So we have our tier based on potential and spend. And that is our, essentially the ones that we are covering the most with human resources. And then we have our second tier that is a little bit more one-to-many, um, still focused on proactive engagements. And then we have our tier C, which is essentially more self-service, Technical support is your number one resource for human engagement. That segmentation model has changed over the years as well as we focus the team on different things. Then the third team is our technical support team. And they are focused purely on inbounding reactive engagements, both internally from the Upkeep team members and also our customers. And that's through live chat, phone, and email as well.
1: It's really interesting that you've broken off, you know, like a, a whole separate professional services team from customer success team. And it, did you do, it sounded like you did that fairly early on or was it all a customer success person doing the implementations themselves? Cause I think at Lattice, like that was a, a later evolution in our, in our life cycle. How did you think about that? And I guess why is implementation so important to the customer success motion in general?
0: What started happening is the customer success managers own that entire journey. And as their bandwidth started, um, uh, essentially focusing more on just doing that first actually doing customer success activities, that's where we essentially said, Hey, this is an opportunity to specialize. So what we did is we hired our first implementation manager and she came into the company and she, her name's Rachel. uh, She came in and we said, Hey, this is what the implementation team is doing today. Let's build an actual program around it. And we really tested into the concept. Is it necessary to separate professional services from customer success? that was wildly successful because what it unlocked is the customer success managers to be purely focused on proactive engagements that were around doing gross retention activities. And so now actually Rachel has been with me for four years, and now she's the manager of professional services and oversees the team of four people. And that has always been my motion is let me get one person in this role, prove the value of it, specialize it, make them extremely focused. And then she created the best professional service program. So that was kind of how we got to to where we were at. Um, where that came from was Patient Pop. That was actually the previous model that they had. Was professional services and implementation were separate from the actual customer success team. So that kind of was just something that I, that I grew with and that actually worked really well of getting everyone focused. Why it's so important is that I believe you have one shot. Like. One opportunity selling <laughs> like a mile, but right, like to to really get a software launched correctly, and it's even more true with our customer base. So today we're selling into organizations that you know people have never used a phone to do their job before, right? So we're coming in, and you know, there's definitely the energy of like, I don't need to, I don't need a phone to do my job. I can, I've been doing this for thirty years, right? And so. We really specialize that, like, hey, our customers don't buy software all the time. So for the implementation managers, take the role of being prescriptive and consultive so we can go in there and say, this is best practices. We've implemented 4,000 people. And based off our experience, this is how we recommend that you do it. And so we found that if we guide them through the implementation and essentially act as a filler in maybe either skill gaps that they have or resource gaps that they have, getting to the point of having a successful deployment is going to set us up for long-term retention. And so what we saw is actually the retention, the rate of retention of those who go through our professional services versus those who go through a more self-service route, it's night and day, right? So it just shows the value of actually having a team dedicated to doing that and getting teams set up for success that first go around.
1: You mentioned there that like your customers are not the most tech savvy, right? Like upkeep works with, with, with maintenance teams. And I'd love to like talk more about like what it's like working with that type of customer and like what advice you have for other customer success teams or even sales teams who are kind of trying to work with like this non tech savvy audience and you're trying to bring them online and get them adopted into your software. Like, yeah, how, how does that work? I mean, is it like selling software to my mom? Is it kind of what I imagine it's like?
0: Yeah. Literally, yeah, no, seriously. Like when I first talked to Ryan about uh, joining Upkeep, I like channeled my dad and I was like, all right, cool. Yeah. Like I explained to my dad how to set Wi-Fi up all the time. I was like, that's when I listened to my first demo call. I was like, this is my dad we're selling to. I think it's great uh, selling into a, a team that might not be used to using technology because you get to help them. Like the way that I explained it to the sales team here is that you know you get to teach them how to buy software, you get to educate them on how to do that because they're not used to buying software, they're not numb to marketing emails, right? So they're just, I feel like they're not jaded by buying software all the time. So it puts us in a different position to be able to educate them on how to do that activity, which I think people respond to really well. And it really builds that like trust factor um, with them. Now, I think probably the, the toughest part around from being through the lens of a customer success manager and working within this space is that they don't use calendar invites the way that we use. They don't use emails, right? So from a level of engagement, we have to get creative on how we do that. Because for a customer success manager, at the end of the day, the number one thing that you can do is engage with your customer base to find opportunity or find risk. But it gets hard if you can't find them, you know. And so that's why I like texting or doing in-app messaging or getting understanding of multiple people at an organization to engage with is absolutely critical. We've tried everything that you could possibly think of of engaging. We send people stuff. <laughs> you name it. We've tried it.
1: And do you go on site and visit customers? And I, and I, how big are your customers? Is it like more mid-market enterprise? Actually, I have no idea.
0: Yeah, it's it's a mix uh, of customers. We have the SMBs of the world, the mid-markets, and then we have these really large ones. Uh, and primarily we, we go on site for these larger customers uh, of ours. And so more recently, we've had a big focus of doing that because going back to what I mentioned before, you know, they're not used to buying software. So in some scenarios, they're used to more of a human engagement. And what we've seen when we go on site, when it comes to doing adoption activities like training and everything, building that in-person relationship is way more successful for larger organizations uh, than it is trying to do something remote. Because again, they're already against technology. So then now they're trying to learn on technology, on how to use technology. Sometimes it just doesn't really hit well with them, right? So for our larger accounts, it's been a bigger emphasis of going on site for sure.
1: Can you take me kind of behind the scenes of like a day in the life of a CSM at upkeep? Like you mentioned this idea of like proactive engagement, but like, what does that actually mean? Or is it showing them new product features? Is it trainings? Like what, what, how are like CSM sort of thinking about their book of business and what type of activities are they trying to push on, on customers?
0: Yeah. Good, good question. So again, we've gone through many iterations of doing this, but for our, for the customer success managers, a priority of them is based on renewal right? So because they have more customers than they have essentially time in the day. So what Meiji and I have learned is that if we can help them prioritize on where to spend activities and energy at, it helps them move through their day. So they're not coming in and not saying, who do I talk to in my book of business, right? Uh, We're anchored on renewal dates. Now, that's not to say that if somebody engages outside of their renewal, we're not going to have proactive engagements with them. But for a CSM, as I walk in, like that's how I start prioritizing it. And then based on where they're at within their year at Upkeep will determine the style of proactive engagement that we're going to do with them. So we have, you know, here the standard QBRs, we essentially have different themes. And the themes are aligned on where would you be at within your first year of Upkeep. So your first QBR is very much going to be focused on how's your team adopting to it, right? Are there any things that we need to do? Versus your second or third one is going to be more around conversation of, great. We're getting adoption. Now, where are areas that we either want to optimize, right? And for the CSMs, again, because they're focused on net revenue retention, it's always either listening or probing for opportunities for growth, right? And what we found is that there's a strong correlation behind the number of QBRs we hold per rep versus the number of PQOs that they're able to identify for expansion opportunities. So we do definitely know that that's a money activity there, but it really depends on where you're at. So We've come up with the concept of themed QBRs as we've gone through. So ideally what happens is they come in, they prioritize their accounts. They're looking at who's coming up for QBRs. Obviously, with no customer success organization is fully proactive, right? I'd say our team is probably like a 60-40 mix, 60% proactive, 40% reactive. And then they're inbounding any reactive stuff that's coming in.
1: I love the idea of of themed QBRs. That's something I, I need to start doing at Doc yeah. instead of just like, oh, how's it going? How can we help you? You know, so on and so forth, but like really thinking through because you're right. Like as the year goes on, there's like different priorities and motivations, both from the customer side, but also from like the the vendor side. Are customers using upkeep for like the same business outcome every time? Is kind of like does everyone have the same goal or are they like Competing goals and business outcomes your customers are trying to to drive you know with with your software. How do you think about kind of kind of that side of things?
0: Yeah, so it's super interesting because Upkeep is used by a wide range of different industries, and it's uh, I say it's our superpower, and it also makes it a little bit tough sometimes. A superpower, just because Upkeep can provide value in all these different spaces, and. The crazy thing about Upkeep is that Upkeep isn't really customizable, it's configurable, meaning that when you go into one Upkeep account, it's going to be structured the same exact way, regardless if you're using Upkeep for manufacturing or if you're using Upkeep for facility maintenance, right? Now, the ways that they use it could be a little bit different. Where somebody is purely using upkeep because they are doing reactive work orders versus somebody that is using upkeep to do preventative maintenance work orders, right? At the end of the day, they're using the same features. They just might have a little bit of a different way of doing that activity. And then I think the other part of it is value is different for some organizations, right? Where in some organizations, upkeep is, again, providing value to their customer experience, If I'm using Upkeep to maintain a hotel room, well, making sure that everything is up to the best standard is obviously going to provide a better customer experience, which will result in revenue for them. Whereas like for manufacturing, maybe I'm subject to audits and compliance. So making sure that I have a digital record of all these activities becomes way more serious because it could result in something like a fine. Value is also different based on the industries that we might be using Upkeep in.
1: Going back to the kind of the early days, I mean, you joined as like the, the fifth employee and I imagine yeah. you maybe had some level of product market fit, but you're still figuring out a lot. Like, were there any memorable customer stories or moments where you're like, aha, like we are on to something like this is actually working really well?
0: Yeah. I always remember my first demo where it was my first day at Upkeep and the guy, Kevin, he was doing a demo call. Uh, and the guy that was on the end of that call, and I don't remember the customer specifically, but he showed them that you can take a picture with your mobile device, draw on it with your finger, and then attach it to the work order to communicate to somebody specifically what you were trying to communicate without using words. This guy, it was like his head blew up and he was just like, This is amazing. And I was like, Dang, like we really have something good here that is like providing value. Cause for a customer success person, right? Like the hardest thing is, is if you have a product that is performance based versus like actual value, like, right? That was one of those like aha moments where I was like, Okay, this guy is real pumped about what we just showed him and is one of our most basic functionalities. I was like, we have something here for sure.
1: It's also a good story to show, like the I don't know the benefits of selling to a non tech savvy audience. Like you know, the bar is a little bit, bit lower as opposed to if Literally. you're selling to like I don't know uh, product engineering folks, right? They yes. have a much higher bar when it comes like yeah. the, the product you're selling to them.
0: Exactly, we can provide value oh, so much faster in some of these situations, which is great.
1: What was your relationship like with with the product team because I imagine yes like you were able to kind of blow some people's minds but I'm sure there was a lot of product gaps especially as you're moving up market and working with bigger customers like how did you think about kind of being the voice of the customer and sharing feedback and your relationship with with the product team
0: yeah so I always say like one of the things about upkeep that I think is very unique about us is that with the product team being the first team and then me coming into the business and customer success being the second team there we like originally started the business, and we're like, hey, you know, we have this really great this all this inbound that's coming in. You know, we're going to build this at the time they weren't calling it PLG, but like we're going to build this like PLG engine, right? Um, and so all these customers were coming in, and we didn't necessarily need to sell anyone; they were automatically finding value themselves. And so it was just product and customer success. And we were connected at the hip and we we're in the same office together. And so then after that, the customer success team was being built out. And then we onboarded sales, we onboarded marketing, we onboarded all these roles. So product and customer success were always the, like, the foundational components of just building the upkeep business. And so it really created this, this relationship that a lot of people coming into the business didn't know anything about maintenance. We knew a lot about software. So, in order for the product team to build, they needed to rely on the customer success team to feed them everything that they needed to know to build a really good product. And that relationship stayed true as the business kept growing. So, again, I think it was kind of always a unique thing that it was like product, customer success. Whereas what I shared about Patient Pop was, it was like product marketing sales. They sold a bunch and then it was CS was like an afterthought.
1: What what did that workflow actually look like? Is it like a stand up meeting where you're talking with the product team? Do you just dump feedback into like a Slack channel? Are there surveys? Like, yeah, how does that actually look like?
0: Yeah. So again, it has taken a lot of different shapes over the year back in the day when, you know, there was like 10, 15 of us and everyone was in office at that time as well. That's another thing that's completely different this time. Um, is yeah, we were just sitting next to each other and we were eating lunch together and we're just having conversations together and, and everyone was in the same room. So they could also hear us as we were selling, you know, as the teams matured, we specialized all these different roles, you know, we started things like. Slack channels, right? So for us, one of the big things that I'm always been focused on is creating a self-sufficient team, right? And for my managers. And so we've created these different outlets for customer success managers and sales team members to get questions, the answers that they might have for their customers. So if you, we heavily rely on Slack for everything. So we have an Ask Product channel. If you have a question around how products should work, you can go there and ask that question. Uh, we have an Ask Support channel. If you need support, internally from our technical support team to help our customers do that. So we created all these different channels to get information. And then the other thing that we do, we have a, a reoccurring meeting every week. We call our per meeting, essentially it is product and engineering. And pretty much any customer-facing team has the opportunity to bring either a feature request or a issue that is blocking them from moving a customer or prospect through the deal. And that's where we have a lot of engagement there where we're presenting these issues each week uh, and talking about them. It's really just creating different channels of engagement between the two different teams.
1: Yeah. It's really interesting like hear how like the different processes evolve. You know, at Doc right now we're still such a small company and like we have a, you know, a internal bug report channel, a customer feedback channel where we just like dump everything in. But you know, yeah. at Lattice it was much more like, okay, we have these clear windows of customer success and sales can share feedback with a product team and ranking and prioritizing all that stuff. And yeah. so, I don't know, I always find it so fascinating how like these processes evolve as companies grow as they need to be. Because if you had this crazy roadmapping process now, like it would be so overkill for what we need, right? Totally. Yeah, yeah 100%. Switching gears a little bit, I'd love to know what it's like working with Ryan. I mean, I I know Ryan and he's like, you're right. He's so energetic. Like he responds to all of my emails with like a thousand exclamation points. And, you know, I'd love to know like (laughs) what your relationship's like, like, and it kind of how it's evolved over the years. Like, you know, cause I'm sure it's very different today as you all have kind of grown up with with this company.
0: Yeah, definitely. No, I absolutely... I love our relationship. And as I mentioned before, the way that I lead my teams is the way that he leads, where essentially, it's like this concept of autonomy and structure, right? Where like I truly feel like I'm the CEO of my own business. And it's great because I'll have him as a resource to bounce ideas off of, right? And make sure that we're aligned with all the overall company. But the one thing I think his superpower is really just... He believes that you can do more than you can believe, right? And he's always pushing you. There's been a handful of situations where a whole like throwing out an idea and I'm like, ah, uh, I don't know. That sounds pretty crazy, but I'm down for the cause. Let's try it and it works out. And so I learned that early on. So it's like trust the process and then learn. But the other part of it too is that, you know, we've tried so many things and honestly, like not a lot of them have worked, but we've created this environment here at Upkeep where like, I don't know, you failing is okay in, in, in regards to testing things out, right? So um, having that runway to test things in my own business has been really helpful. And again, he's essentially created this culture and this structure here that allows for that. That relationship that him and I have is, is super solid.
1: Are there any memorable experiments that, that stand out?
0: Yeah, I will say one of the... uh, I don't know if this is uh, an experiment, but we were... The company was probably, gosh, we were maybe under 15 people. And Oklahoma State Correctional Facility uses Upkeep to manage all their 27 public prisons, right? And so at the time, it was our biggest customer, and it was only him and and myself. And so we flew out to Oklahoma. And we were essentially went and did this training, met with all these people, had a a killer time. And we're coming back on the the flight. And we're just sitting next to each other in the plane. And we're talking about expansion. And we're like, Hey, we're coming out with all these new features. Right now, we only have two plans. We're like, let's test this concept of creating a new tier that's focused on what we call business plus today that is going to be for more advanced features, right? And so on that plane ride, again, it was like only 15 people at the company are like, let's start a new plan type. And so we came back to the office and we did it. And you know, it was wildly successful in doing that. And that plan type is you know, the one where our customers are at and provides the most value, but it's organized in a way, again, maintenance maturity of how people are buying or using upkeep. So I think that's always a funny one that we reflect back on and be like, Hey, we came up with plan type on a plane ride home.
1: Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Also, an amazing customer that you're going to visit. Are you actually going to visit yeah. at like a, at a at a correctional facility?
0: Yeah, I actually had the opportunity to go two times. Uh, the first time was uh, more relaxed, where we were on the only on the administrative side of it. Uh, the second time around, we went back and did another training, and this was with my uh, director of customer success, Miji. and we actually got full blown tours of the prison. Not sure if you you know this, but uh, prisons essentially will uh, certify the prisoners to do certain activities. And so in the world of maintenance, we'll certify them to do HVACs. And so got to meet with two prisoners. Uh, Unfortunately, they were doing life in prison, but they did their HVAC systems in that specific prison. And they were utilizing Upkeep
1: to manage their work orders. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, not (laughs) exactly who you'd expect as the user of of your software, I'm sure. But yeah, Yeah. no, that's that's, that's an amazing story. Um, Yeah. I'd love to talk a little bit about you because it's like it's amazing what you've done right going from kind of like the first customer success hire and building this team like how has that journey been for you on a personal level like how have you kept up with kind of the company's growth curve
0: Yeah it's really crazy because I tell this to all new hires when I come in I feel like I have the same energy around upkeep from my first day of here even though I've been here for 6 months and I think you know, for me personally, like I thrive in change. I thrive in trying to figure out problems. Right. And as we're trying to grow a really big business, you know, the problems that we face, you know, three years ago are totally different than the ones that we're figuring out now. And they're not necessarily bad problems. They're, you're growing the business problems, right. And, And they need to be figured out. So I think with the combination of Ryan creating this world of autonomy and ownership and my love of solving problems, right. It, I don't ever feel like I'm really doing the same thing all the time. And then I think the other component of it is just like the people. I think the number one thing of why I'm where I'm at and where the team is at is that we made really good hiring decisions and bringing on really smart people. And for me, I got out of their way and I let them run. Uh, And they are absolutely crushing it. So now at this point in, you know, where I'm at in my leadership career, it's, you know, obviously I want Upkeep as a business to do really, really well, but like my people are my number one focus. Um, And that to me is just so motivating day in and day out.
1: How do you think about the difference between... Being like a manager, where you're, you know, directly managing the people who are doing the work, to being, you know, I think of it as like a leader VP, where you're man- a manager of managers, right? And like, how do you think yeah. about that distinction and kind of your leadership style between those two worlds?
0: Yeah, so I think for me, like one of the biggest things that I always push for my leaders, and this came with time from switching from being just a manager, not just a manager, but a manager to you know a director to vice president, is is delegation, honestly. I'll always remember this conversation, and I've I mentioned this before in a few other uh, stories that I've told before, is that I just mentor and I came to my one-on-one with him one day and I said, I don't have bandwidth to do X. And I said, I don't feel like I'm being strategic enough in the business. I'm in the weeds so much. And then he asked me, he said, well, rattle off, like what are some of the things that that you're doing? And I said, I'm doing this, this, and this. And then he goes to me, he's like, well, can't Meiji do that? And I said, well, Meiji's bandwidth is also she has like a full book of business, you know? And he's like, did you ever ask Meiji that? And I was like, you know what? I didn't ask her that. And then he's like, one of the biggest takeaways of transitioning from being a manager into like vice president into that executive role is delegation is opportunity. And he's like, there's two ways to look at it, right? Like one, if you're not delegating, then you're not giving yourself the opportunity to step up and make better decisions to help move the team forward, right? The other is that individual that you're not giving them new opportunities because you don't think they have the bandwidth, you're holding opportunity from them. Maybe something that you wanted to delegate to them is something that they are passionate about, or would, Find a new love for, and they're like, you're doing them an injustice by essentially holding back all these things. And so, when that conversation took place, that kind of like really switched gears for me. Whereas, like, delegation is opportunity, it is not delegating because it's work, it's for you to own something else. Um, And that was like a big switch for me, where I was like, great. Now, if I feel more confident in delegating out, then I have the opportunity to hopefully look at the business more holistically to make bigger adjustments that are going to help move the team forward.
1: And as you're delegating all this work, like, how do you think about accountability, right? Because that gets harder as the organization grows. And is it, are you managing purely by metrics or yeah, how do you sort of hold people accountable?
0: Yeah, definitely. I think managing people kind of comes in like, two two different ones and it's based on what is the role how long has that person been in their working career and it's you know it's activities versus outcomes you know for my leadership team you know they are equipped with the skill set and enough freedom and that autonomy component to get to an outcome so if we say hey the mission is x net revenue retention Meiji is going to be the one that is strategizing with her team and herself to come up with the activities that are going to take place Whereas for maybe a more junior role, like maybe for like a sales role, it's activity-based, right? How many activities are you going to do to get to your outcome versus you trying to figure out what those activities are, right? So I think based on the role, it's a little bit different. And we've always had ways to measure the team's outputs in there. But again, some of it is how many activities are you doing versus what is the actual... Did you hit your lagging goal of, of being successful?
1: Everyone right now is thinking about renewals and renewals are, are tough, right? With the economy kind of where it's at yeah. and maybe it's not in, in the maintenance world. But yeah, I'm curious like, yeah. how you think about this process at upkeep because it was interesting early in the conversation where you had these like QBR themes you mentioned. I imagine that sets up the renewal really nicely. Like, but yeah, how do you think about kind of the renewal process holistically? We
0: do two engagements. So, you know, as I mentioned before, we tear out our customer success team and we, it, we tear out the engagement model that they get. Right. So there's a whole entire tier of customers that do not have a dedicated customer success manager, but we need to ensure their renewal. Right. So in those instances, and even with the ones that do get high, high human touch, um, we send them out a notice and we ask them the question is, are you planning on to renewing or are you making any changes to your subscription? And that essentially prompts the conversation. And for those that are saying, you know, I'm going to stay on my path. It's, it's fantastic. Great. What other resources can we provide you for those that essentially flag say, Hey, you know, I do want to make changes to it. That's when we go into more a reactive, you know, let's have a conversation of why you might not renew uh, here at Upkeep, right? Um, And so we've layered in both. And it also goes back to some of our customers don't want to get on the phone with us, you know, and we can't force them to do that activity. So let's try to meet you where you're at to ask you the question on how you're feeling about your renewal. And then for other ones, it is more of a QBR, let's sit down. Let's talk to three people at your company to articulate the value that Upkeep's bringing to you. And then let's confirm that renewal there, right? So it's a combination of different touches. But for us, the renewal is also an awesome opportunity to talk about expansion. Because if we, we've essentially covered, hey, you guys are finding value inside Upkeep, Let's talk about how you're going to use more of Upkeep. And if there's more that look like you inside your organization, maybe it's a new location, maybe it's another team, let's talk about them and let's use your success story to go tell everyone in your company about how successful Upkeep is. So renewals is also a really good point uh, to have that conversation.
1: When it comes to expansion, is that like, do you pass that off to the sales team to kind of come in or it's like a tag team effort where it's the CSM and an AE or account manager or something working together? What does that look like?
0: Yeah, so our rules of engagement around expansion kind of get broken off into two points. So if somebody comes to us and they say, "Hey, I want to add, you know, two more users to our user base uh, model, right? I want to add two more users." It's like, okay, cool. Let me educate you on how you can do that in the product yourself, right? Um, And then we'll teach them the PLG route of how to add users. And at the end of the day, some customers just want that from a convenience component, right? Like they don't want to talk to someone when they grow their team by one person. So that's one path um, over five users. If someone comes to us and they say, Hey, I want to add five users for us. That is a signal that we should have a deeper conversation of how are you growing your team by five more people, right? Let's talk about that. At that point, the customer success managers create a PQO. So product uh, product qualified opportunity that gets passed over to the account owner and the, the account owner, AKA territory manager uh, is going to work with the customer success manager to schedule that call and have that conversation around why we're expanding at the clip that we're expanding. the ideal situation is that we identify more or we forecast more and we understand what full potential that we have uh, in those accounts. So we essentially split it off between either you're going to go a self-service expansion route, or you're going to go more of a sales assist. And with the sales assist, the hope is that it's going to be larger.
1: And what is your relationship like with sales kind of more at the top of the funnel, like before that, you know, right before implementation do, is it, is there any, like, are they getting their hands in the, the product before they buy it all? Like, what does that handoff look like between sales and customer success when they're kind of a new customer?
0: Yeah, definitely. So uh, the other, I actually oversee two additional teams. I also oversee our solutions engineering team here at Upkeep and also our revenue operations. So I'm very heavily involved in the pre-sale side of it. And so with being involved in that and SEs essentially reporting to me, uh, it's been really great because you know the number one way to stop churn is just to make sure that good fit customers are getting in from the get-go. Like That's it. And so with having the SEs report to CS, there's very much their lens on are you a good fit customer? And if they're not, let's see their solutions for it, right? And if we can't find a solution, then let's have the hard conversation and the trust uh, conversation of we're not a good fit. With that comes in speaking about professional services. So we very much uh, rely on the value that CS and professional services provide in the selling side of the house, right? And we, when we go into we go into these new sales calls and we're pitching, we're essentially going in with the the conversation that upkeep is just not a software. The value that you get is the people and the process behind it. So we very much speak about professional services and customer success during the buying journey, because for our customers going back to this is the first time that they've ever purchased a software before. So we need to paint the picture of what the full journey will look like. So they have confidence going in and being like, hey... I just bought a software. Now, what do I do with it? Right. So, when we go and we sell, we very much speak about it. And then, for the larger deals that are coming through professional services, we get in the calls with them and we again will go in. And what I do think it generates, it creates, is for the buyer the, an understanding of like, wow, I have a whole team behind me that's going to help me do this. Right? It's not just this one salesperson that's articulating and painting this golden picture for me. It's like, hey, this team has it figured out. They have a really strong process in place, and so hopefully that gets them more confident in their decision to purchase upkeep. So definitely heavily rely on CS in the sales side.
1: Yeah, it's a, such a good point. And it's easy to forget that like, you know, software as a service, there's a big service component of the software that people are, <laughs> yeah. are buying. And, you know, like, you know, most of the advice out there is like focus and build the best product. You don't even need yeah. CS people in theory, but like, yeah. you, know, you always yeah. do because people are, are buying it for like the people as well as, as the software. It's a huge, huge part of it. Yeah, totally. Um, I'd love to end today's conversation with like advice you might have for kind of other early stage, you know, CSM hires, like you know, other people who are kind of the first customer success person at a company and aspire to do what you've done at Upkeep. Like, yeah. what type of mentality should they have? How should they approach that?
0: Yeah, definitely. So I think that when you're building a team, as I, I mentioned before, right, it's I always take the approach of let me get in there and and let me do some of the role myself to really figure it out so I understand the inner workings of it. And once you feel like you have a foundation on there, hire someone really strong. right? And when you're hiring, your profile of where your company is at is going to determine who you hire. Meji came into the business, for example, like we didn't have anything. So I needed to hire someone that was totally on board with no process being in place and essentially being curious and figuring it out. So your initial hires that you hire at any startup are going to be your most critical hires because they will make or break essentially where you spend your time at. Right. So that's probably one of the key ones is the people. And then our strategy has always been of... Let's specialize or let's hire, specialize, show value in it, and then grow the team behind it versus coming in and trying to either with an assumption of being like, hey, I think if we hire implementation managers that will work. We always kind of crawled, walk, run into making those bigger decisions on how do we grow the team or how do we change the dynamics of the team um, based off what we think the business needed at, at that time. And then I think the other part of just bringing people in is is people that really are motivated by change and, and want to solve a problem. Uh, I think working in a startup, it is a special type of person because some people look at startups and they're like, that looks chaotic. I don't want to do that, right? Whereas like I us, for example, right? Or anyone at an early stage startup, they're like, this is great. Like I'm thriving and all this change. And so you need someone with that energy that doesn't, get deflated if things aren't figured out, right? Or if things don't go well, like you need to find people that like to solve problems and ones that are curious as well and really want to like try things out. So I think it really comes back to like the people component.
1: Well, thank you so much for an awesome conversation, Joe. If people have questions, want to follow up with you, where's the the best social network for them to find you?
0: Yeah, definitely. LinkedIn uh, is a, a great platform. Honestly, the only social platform that I really use. So if anyone ever has any questions, always happy to share my journey. Because as I mentioned, I had an untraditional path into being in hospitality and in retail and, and then getting into software. So always happy to share some of my learnings uh, and the things that didn't work as well.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, That's a wrap on another episode of Grow & Tell. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe to us on YouTube or your favorite podcast platform, or find every episode at growandtellshow.com. I'm your host, Alex Krakov. Thank you for listening.